We're looking forward to Brother Chris Blackwell coming tonight. He always loves to receive an invitation to come, and we are happy to give it and look forward to his presence with us tonight. This is the third lesson in this brief series on the Joseph of the New Testament. We will attempt to bring together the various truths we have been pressing during this study and then get into the second and perhaps closing section and session of it next Sunday. We look again at our text, Matthew 1. 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and they called his name Jesus. We have noted that some men's lives are worthy of imitation. Other men's lives are unworthy of imitation. In regard to those who are unworthy of our following after their mindset in life, words, thinking, deeds. We study them to learn how not to live. And then those worthy, the opposite, how to live. In the beginning of our study, we noted Cain, Esau, Ahab, and Judas. Four tragic examples of how not to live and then how not to die. And then we started reflecting upon the four kings in Judah. We're well aware of four who started off well and ended well. That's what we all want to do. That ought to be the constant thinking of our life. I've started off well. I want to end well. In spite of, as they had, weaknesses of mind and spirit and flesh. And then there were these four kings that started off well and ended so tragically. We spent a whole lesson on Asa, Joash, and Amaziah. One other one we'll mention briefly, and that's Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. When Amaziah, his father, died, he took the throne at 16 
Imagine that becoming a king over the nation of Israel at those tender teenage years, 16 years old. He reigned 52 years. Oh, how well he started off. Verse 5 says, He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. That's the way to start off life. Suppose an individual comes into the world through parents who are not interested in anything spiritual. And most parents fall in that category. Tragically, most men and women who have been parents from Genesis 3, 6 onward didn't need to be parents. They failed their children in the most significant of ways. And now, for the most part, they and their children are in the same place and it's not the right place. Uzziah's father started off well and ended poorly. He defeated the Edomites in battle, as we know it. And then he brought the gods, the false gods of the Edomites home and worshiped them. And God, in essence, said, I'm going to bring judgment on Amaziah because of what he did with these Edomite gods. The prophet told him, as hopefully you will remember, the Edomite gods could not save the Edomites. What made you think they were going to save you? We noted briefly in our class in the back this morning how irrational, senseless people can become in their thinking that promotes their conduct in their life. When they either never or having at some point in the past done so, get away from and sever themselves from divine thinking that helps us to think right. When we think right about God and we do the thinking that God does and we allow God's thinking to govern our life, we're going to think right. And it's going to help us to do right in spite of the fact that we're going to struggle with life all the way through. That was a senseless act. And the prophet was almost beside himself in unbelief that a man could be that senseless. You're worshiping the gods that could not defend the very people that you fought with. He started off fine, but he ended terribly. And his son is starting off so wonderfully well. At such a tender age, 16 years old, few teenagers are interested in divine things. Many teenagers in the church are not too much interested in studying the Bible and learning how to live. Well, here again is this individual who came into the world through parents who had no interest in the truth. Uzziah had a poor, poor portrait in regard of the way you don't want to die 
So what does he do? He finds this good man, Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions and thinking of God. And you can just see in his young 16-year-old mind, thinking to himself, I need this man's help. I'm a teenager. I'm king over the nation of Israel. I don't know how to come in or go out. Solomon's attitude when he talked to God about that matter. I have found me a man who's going to help me think like God thinks so I can rule wisely this nation. And he started all doing everything just right. And so God blessed him. He used him to defeat his enemies, the Philistines. He used him to defeat the Ammonites. He had others bringing gifts to him. He was wise in ways of agriculture. He was a great cattleman. He dug wells all over the place to take care of these trees and plants that he planted everywhere and these cattle. He was also a great military man. He came up with great inventions for military activity. I believe it's verse 15 that says, and he was helped until he was strong. And then verse 15 says, but when he was strong, he lifted up his heart and it wasn't in things divine. It was in pride and arrogance. He let his pride get to it. God had blessed him from age 16 to that older point in his life. Blessed him in everything he did. Military things, physical things, agriculture, spiritual things. He was just blessed in every possible way. And now with all of these blessings and all of these good things he has enjoyed, what does he do? In his pride and arrogance, he grabs a censer and heads toward the temple. He's going to burn incense. Azariah the high priest with 80 priests, whom the Bible describes as valiant men, followed him into the temple and rebuked him saying, you have no right to burn incense in the temple. This, according to God's commandment, is the work of the priest. You are in the wrong place. You have left the right place, the throne of Israel. What was wrong with that? Paraphrasing somewhat. And you've come to the wrong place where you have no right to be. Oh, that just infuriated him. He raises that censer in a rage. And as he did, as his rage grew, his wrath grew, so did the leprosy making its way into his forehead. When those priests saw that, they rushed to get him out 
but he didn't need any encouragement. He couldn't get out fast enough himself. And he spent the rest of his life living in a separated state in this house, solitary as a leper. What an unbelievable tragedy. Well, in contrast to men like that, Paul said, those things which ye have both learned and seen and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We study some men's lives to learn how to live so we can learn how to die. This New Testament Joseph is a man like that. We noted he was a righteous man. Matthew 1.19 says he was just. That's right conduct or behavior. Righteousness is what a man is because of what he does. Our denominational neighbors teach what is called imputed righteousness. There's nothing right about imputed righteousness. That upon a confession of faith... Jesus then infuses us with righteousness that is his own righteousness. He just allows us to become righteous because he is righteous. That's again senseless. Here's what happens to a man's mind when he doesn't allow the truth to govern it, to instruct him. He doesn't think like God, he thinks like a man. And that's imputed righteousness. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. 1 John 3, 7. Righteousness is what a man is because of what he does. Righteousness does not denote perfection as well we know. It knows righteous, proper, just conduct. We are deemed righteous by God and we can be viewed as righteous by man because of the kind of conduct and life we live. Joseph was a just, righteous man. And then secondly, he was compassionate we talked briefly about his dilemma. Betrothal or engagement in Judaism was as binding as marriage. The Old Testament in Deuteronomy 22, 23, and 24 talks about an engaged couple as husband and wife. And so when Mary became pregnant, From a human perspective, she could not have harmed Joseph in a greater way. As he viewed it, Joseph didn't have all the pieces to this spiritual puzzle as well we know. And yet even though from his perspective, this, what he thought and was, this devoted, godly, spiritual woman who was his wife had been with another man. As great as that harm is, Joseph loved this woman too much to harm her like he viewed she had harmed him. He was compassionate. And you know, some men would have shouted that to the housetop. I just read something a couple of days ago about... Uh, a devoted couple and the wife was unfaithful. Had an affair with her, one of her husband's best friends. And obviously it just 
it so destroyed this man's mind. He, he just couldn't hardly deal with it. They went to all kinds of uh, things to try and deal with this serious problem. I believe, as I remember, they, they continued to remain married and, and everything worked out all right. But it came close over and over and over and over again to bringing an end. But it was the children, I believe, that really kept them together. Now, isn't that wonderful? Even though they're struggling with their relationship, they knew they, 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 they just had to stay together for these kids. These kids hadn't done anything. The husband hadn't done anything. And the wife confessed, I've done a grievous wrong, came before the church, and did everything she could. It was just beyond sorrow, was sorrowful for what she did. Well, Joseph has been treated, he thinks, like that. But he's not about to hurt his wife. Not about to hurt his wife. He was going to put her away privily. A man void of compassion is void of the Spirit of God. I mentioned this point. Uh, how does a man treat his wife? That's what he is. That's what he is. You know, a man may have a great persona in public. Everybody at work, everybody on the field of recreation, everybody in the social circle, they think he hung the moon. Great husband, great father, great everything. He's just got it all. But they don't know what goes on inside the four walls. How does he treat his wife when he gets home at night? That's what the man is. And if he is verbally abusive and emotional abusive, he doesn't have to raise a hand. He is far from the Joseph of the New Testament. He really does not love his wife. And he shows what he really is before the kids at home at night. The kids know what kind of father they've got. And it breaks their heart to see the way he talks to his wife in private, under the roof, but not in private from them. He was contemplative. This is where we had just started and stopped. Verse 20 says, but while he thought on these things, Refused action apart from reflection. If we take on action apart from reflection, we're headed for trouble. He pondered. He meditated. Oh, he loved this woman, and he did not want to hurt her. He'd go to the ends of the earth to salvage what he thought was going to be the end of her reputation. I'm sure he never raised one word, one word, improper word toward her. He dealt with her gently, kindly. Action without contemplation always ends in disaster. We noticed some others, but we didn't get to Abraham. Genesis 16, 2. Sarah, as well you know, came to Abraham and said, I can't have children. You're going to have to Take my handmaid. 
and have children. Let me have children by her. That's where we know the moment all of this took place and she conceived. Sarah said, oh my, what a mess I've made. I have made a terrible mistake. Someone says, but that was culture. You know, it was all right. No, culture does not supplant the divine pattern. Genesis 16, 2 reads like this. Abraham hearkened unto his wife Sarah. Suppose Genesis 16, 2 read like this. Abraham hearkened unto the voice of God. Now you just think of all that could have been avoided in that home, in that family, to this present hour and to the ends of the ages. If Abraham had said to his wife, absolutely not. This is not God's willing way. It's been 10 years, I understand that. But if it's 10 more, 20 more or 30 more, somewhere, God is going to use you and me to bring this promised child into the world. And it's not going to be by this means, which is not the right means. I'm hearkening unto God as the spiritual head of this family. It will not be so. What a difference that would have made. There's no hint in the text that Abraham went into serious contemplation about this. He just hearkened to her voice. He said, all right, that's what we're doing. And we're still paying for what he did. Those 10 spies, they brought back that evil report. You just, th they had 40 days to do what Joseph did. 40 days to think on these things. Every night, as they looked at those giants in that land and started conjuring up these negative thoughts in their mind, as they lay there on their beds with those portraits of those giants in their mind, they should have gone back in their mind. Look what they saw in Egypt. Look what they saw at the Red Sea. They saw God slay two priests with fire. They saw God fill the temple at its completion. They saw God fill the camp with so many quail. It was a day's journey on one side and a day's journey on the other. And then they saw no telling how many die by a plague with the quail's meat in their teeth. They saw the fire burning in the midst of the camp. The fire of God's wrath because those people complained. They saw God strike Miriam with leprosy. All that they saw. And it would have been so easy, natural, for them to think on these things. Would they have come back with that evil report? We can't take this land. There are giants in this land. Why, we look like grasshoppers in their sight, and we look like grasshoppers in our own sight by way of comparison. 
Look what refusing to contemplate did to that nation. Forty years now they go wandering in the wilderness. Those ten men were slain by the hand of God. Left their wives, widows, their children, orphans. And now over 600,000 graves are going to be dug because they neglected to contemplate, think on these things. Action without contemplation always ends in disaster. When those people complained about that water, Moses and Aaron, after hearing God say, you go speak to this rock, should have contemplated for just a few moments. That's all it would have taken to keep them from striking that rock. They were in the last year on the way home. The 40th year of wandering in the wilderness. One year to go. How many people have ruined their lives in the final few days, weeks, months, or year of their life playing the fool in regard to fleshly matters? And oftentimes after years of faithfulness find themselves severed from God when it comes time to die. They were almost home. A few moments of contemplation would have saved them from striking that rock. One of the saddest stories in the Bible is the story in 2 Samuel 11. The army's all fighting. David should have gone with them. But for whatever reason, he's tearing around the house. And you know well this tragic story that every time you read or think about it, you're doing what I just did. You shake your head in almost unbelief. How could this happen to a man who's got wives and concubines? Some of the most beautiful women in Israel at his disposal? Upon seeing Bathsheba in her nude state bathing, bathing and the moment that lust hit his mind, he should have said to himself, Mm, I'm going down to my own house and get one of my own wives and concubines to take care of this strong feeling in, in my body. Placed there by God. Oh, my, it's hard to imagine this. He inquires about this woman. Who is this woman? Why, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah. He had no business inquiring to begin with. What is he thinking? Not right, that's for sure. He's thinking about his, with his physical loins, not his spiritual mind. He inquires and finds out she is a married woman and her husband is out there risking his life trying to defend David and his wives and his children and the nation of Israel. That should have ended it right there. Oh, my, she's a married woman and married to one of my soldiers. 
That's the end of my improper way of thinking. I'm going to one of my own wives and concubines. I've got plenty of them. But no, no. He sends messengers. No shame whatsoever. He sends messengers to get this man's wife to bring to his bed. Five minutes of thinking right on these things would have saved David from himself. And brothers and sisters, I tell you, that's what we need all the time. I thank God all the time for situations in which I found myself when I was saved from myself. I thank God every day for a wife like I have who has helped save me from myself. Because we are our own worst enemies, are we not? David should have taken his own advice in Psalm 103 verse 2. Praise the Lord for his goodness and forget not all his benefits. There was no man in Israel more blessed than David. He blessed him out there as a shepherd and he blessed him in his battle against Goliath. He killed the largest man in the Philistine army, a giant of a man, a warrior of a man, a death-dealing man. And with God's help, he killed him with one stone from a sling. He saved him from a bear. He saved him from a lion. Allowed David to kill with his own hands a lion and a bear. He blessed him in every possible way. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, he cried, and forget not all his benefits. He should have taken his own advice. Five minutes of reflection would have saved him from taking another man's wife and another man's life. And as well, we know God forgave him, but he said, in essence, you're going to suffer until the day you die because of what you've done. A sword is going to hover on your house. And I mean, it started immediately. The people you know who have destroyed their homes, who have destroyed their jobs, who have destroyed their lives, with sins like illicit sexual affairs, alcohol, drugs, gambling, and such like actions. Congregations of which no doubt you're aware that have been torn asunder because men pursued self-will instead of God's will. They're all around us. Suppose such, and they are innumerable, sinful activities had been preceded by serious Sober contemplation about God's inner redemption. All oh, the woes that could be prevented if, like Joseph, we thought on these things. He was a man of contemplation. He didn't rush in to this matter. He loved this woman. 
He wanted to help her, save her from harm, shame, and everything else. And while he thought, pondered, and reflected, the Holy Spirit came and said, let me, let me help you know what's going on. Oh, imagine the joy that filled his heart when he heard the message from the Spirit of God. We need to listen to the Spirit of God through the God saids of divine revelation. Let God said form our thinking so we can think like God and save us from ourselves and be helped by others to be saved from ourselves. Your present never obeyed the gospel. We encourage you by faith, repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you need the prayers of this church, we want you to come and let us pray with and for you while we stand and sing. Strained in sense our valley, no hope within could <clears throat> I see. They searched through heaven and found a savior to save a poor lost soul like me. Oh, what a savior! broken on Calvary. His hands were nailed, scarred, his side was riven. He gave his life blood for even me. He left the Father with all his riches, with calmness sweet and serene came down from heaven and gave his life blood to make the vilest clean oh what a savior oh hallelujah his heart was broken on calvary his hands were nailed, scarred, his side was riven. He gave his life blood for even me. Death's chilly waters I'll soon be crossing. His hand will lead me safe home. I'll join the chorus in that great city and sing up there forevermore. Oh, what a Savior! Oh, hallelujah! His heart was broken on Calvary. His hands were nailed, scarred, his side was riven. He gave his life blood for even me. Thank you so much, Frank. It was a great lesson, one we 
need to hear and take a lot of thought in, being a good example. If you would, let's all turn to our closing song, be number 526. We'll sing the first verse and be led in prayer. I want to remind everyone that we have a luncheon today. <clears throat> so if you're able, please stay around with us. If you're visiting, you are our honored guest. And uh, there is lots of extra food, so please stick around if you're able. Our next time of worship be this evening. Um, will we have the 5 o'clock this evening? Yeah. Okay. So um, we'll have the 5 and 5.30 for the uh, training and then um, 6 o'clock for services. First verse, number 526. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door And I can't feel at home in this world anymore Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door And I can't feel at home in this world anymore